This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, November 4th, 2021, and my guest is the delightful Chris Davies. Hi, Chris. How are you? Hi, Miriam. It is always a pleasure to be here. And I'm very well, though I'm terrified that it is November 4th. Yeah, I. that's why I paused like in my head. I don't know if I'm yeah. pausing this recording. I'll probably have to edit it out. But I'm just like, what? Fourth? No, I think you should definitely leave that in because I think everyone needs to know how terrifying the reality of the calendar is. I think uh, you're right. Yep. All right. So... The news this week has been very chill in terms of mobile. I know you've reviewed some audio devices. We're going to talk about those. There's a couple of items, you know, I want to mention, but I want to spend maybe a good chunk of the podcast on talking about cars, specifically EVs, since I've been mentioning this to the audience that I've been covering EVs for Tech Radar for a few months now. So let's go through like a 2021 state of the EV, maybe. I think that would be good. I mean, I think... We were saying before this is it's kind of we're in a very interesting time, I think, at the moment for for cars generally and for electrification specifically, and that kind of um the transition which I think we'd all been told was coming and the automakers had told us for months and years that it was coming. And honestly, no, really, they were working on it and there were going to be electric cars. And now all of a sudden there are electric cars, or at least as many as they can manufacture. I know. It's it's kind of like you all of a sudden you look outside and there's more than Teslas on the road. I think that's one of the most interesting things, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. You know, let's save no. ourselves something to talk about. I would love to hear your insights on two devices you recently reviewed. And those are from both from Apple or Beats in this case. There's the AirPods third gen and mm-hmm. the Beats Fit Pro. And, you know, I don't have either of those. I'm not a huge fan of the AirPods in general, although I think they're really solid. I recommend them to people, especially in the Apple ecosystem. But mm-hmm. I have zero experience with Beats beyond the old days when they didn't sound great. And, you know, I know that nowadays they have like things like USB Type-C and and they, they have do. like all the Apple goodness in there, like the eight, the crazy wireless chip and whatever it is. And, and those particular Beats Fit Pro looks like sex toys. Do you know they do? And they when they 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 sent me the I think they're called purple, or it is a kind of a lilac purple, and there is something quite um quite uncanny? flesh colored. Uncanny, yes. There yes. is it is definitely um, Uncanny Valley. It's like you're looking at a tiny sex toy when you look at them, but then you yeah. realize that is not what that is. That is no, something you stick in your ear, in your not ear. somewhere else. Though I mean, depending on what people are into, you know, and no judgment. Maybe a little exactly, judgment, but exactly. yeah. Um, Seems I just unplug this fan. Um, <laughs> I think the problem is, you see, I'm actually I'm wearing the Beats Fit Pro now, and the the noise cancellation in them is so good that I only realised the fan was going when the air when the air level increased. So there we are. <laughs> um, I think they they are. I think what surprised me the most about them actually was how they out appled Apple, maybe. Like I, uh, but it seems that's been the case for a bit now, right? Didn't the previous product they came out with also get similar reviews and kind of context from others? It did, the, the Beat Studio Buds, and I reviewed those as well. And they were really good for a kind of, 100, I think, $129 or something, or $100. I can't remember the exact price. They were very competitively priced. They didn't have Apple's like H1 chip or anything. They had like a custom Beats 
chipset inside, but they still got things like active noise cancellation, which wasn't quite as good as like an AirPods Pro. Um, and they, but lots of features that they kind of really did squeeze in. And then these have come along, the the the, um, the fit, and they've just taken all basically of or almost all of the the AirPods Pro features and packaged them in for some, something cheaper and. I think you know I prefer the fit of them. I have very odd ears, though. You know, I um, I struggle with in-ear earbuds to get them to stay in. It's a it's a problem for a lot of people. Fit is, I think, the biggest challenge that still needs to be overcome in in earbuds. Um, but but you know what strikes me is these have active noise canceling, so they're more competitor of the the AirPods Pro, right? In that sense, so yes. But are, are they actually still more affordable than the AirPods Pro then? They are. So, um, wow. well, a, a fit, on paper, yes, AirPods Pro will cost $249.99 and um, the, the, the Beats cost, I think, $199. If you go onto Amazon, and, um, you can find AirPods Pro usually for $189. So they're kind of similarly priced. But I still, I think, would go for the Beats earbuds just because the fit is so much more comfortable. I don't, I don't, I don't like it when the, the only thing keeping the earbud in your ear is the in-ear part. Because I right. find that after time, that's really aggravating, and the, the the beats have these kind of little silicone fins that tuck into the top of your ears, so it doesn't have to be like this wedged in thing. Now with wings. Now with yes, yeah. I mean, <laughs> since we're on that topic of absolutely no, I mean it may, and honestly, they make me feel like I should go running down a beach or ride a horse in white jeans. So that's, uh, you know, yeah. Yes. No, but look, I think the reality is I think that perhaps, and I want your thoughts on this, perhaps people should, who are in the Apple ecosystem, should buy these Beats instead of the AirPods simply on the fact that, you know, they they, they hold better, I guess, mm-hmm. and they fit some ears better, but more importantly that, you know, USB Type-C, right? Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, the, to be able to charge the case using the same charger that you use for your MacBook or your Windows laptop, for that matter, or anything. And I think that's the other thing, that they don't just work great with an iOS device. They actually, the Beats' Android app is really good. you know, And so ah. you get almost exactly the same experience on an Android device as you do on an iOS device, which is definitely not the case for AirPods. I mean, you don't, you don't get like, you, obviously, hey, Siri doesn't work and you don't get, um, okay, Google kind of, you know, Google Assistant triggering that way, but a lot of the other things work just as well. You can still adjust all of the settings through their app. It's um, they've really kind of done a a really thoughtful job, I think, of making it as platform agnostic as possible, which I think is something that Apple maybe doesn't bother so much with. And it's yet it is Apple. It's it's kind of you know it's that's the irony because when I then reviewed the um, the new third gen AirPods, you know, it was like. The, the, the biggest threat is from down the hallway. You know, this is literally the Beats team who is using the same silicone as they are, using a lot of the same software, using things like adaptive EQ and transparency mode and ANC, all powered by the same chipset that's in the, the new AirPods. And yet it's just that little bit better. So AirPods third gen, obviously the AirPods Pro are kind of the king of the roost. That's what mm-hmm. ideally I think most people are aiming for in their budget if they can. Yep. Um, but the AirPods regular have been super popular. And obviously, we finally have a product now that, you know, has some of the industrial design of the AirPods Pro, the mm-hmm. shorter, stubbier, you know, and a kind of stems. kinky looking stem thing. And then yep. we've got the, but we still don't have like silicone tips here. So no. it's an op- more open experience. I personally actually think that in most cases, I prefer that kind of fit even though I know it doesn't really work well for noise cancelling, in this case, there isn't any, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
Apple wants you to pony up for the pros. But I think that they've improved them in every way, right? So like, would you rec still recommend these to people, even though active noise canceling has really become a thing now? I I mean, and again, I've, sort of um, with the provision that, you know, I have weird ears, I find the, I found the original design of the AirPods better in my ears than I do these third generation ones with the, ah. the bigger head. And I, that I think is just, you know, something that you'll need to try and figure out for yourself whether that's good for you or not. Um, the audio quality is definitely improved. The new driver they've used is better. And I mean, despite the fact, as you say, that it's kind of like an open design and there is leakage kind of in and out of audio. Um, if obviously if there's any other kind of leakage from your ear, you should see a specialist. Um, the, you know, it actually, they sound pretty, pretty good. And, you know, they sound good with, I think, a, a wide variety of audio music types and in calls as well. I think one of the, the real strengths of AirPods has always been how good they are in phone calls. You know, and you'd think that would be table stakes for any Bluetooth earbud, but it's not. It absolutely is not. And so one of the things I love being able to do with AirPods is that kind of, you know, where you have one in, you're on a long call, all of a sudden the battery's running down, you put the other one in, it picks up the call seamlessly and you just swap between the two and you can keep going. And it does that with great audio quality. It is just very reliable. But the fit is not there for me. You don't get the mm -hmm. ANC. And the, the reality is, like I was saying, the street price of AirPods Pro is $190. The new AirPods third gen are $150. So for oh. just not that much more, I would go for AirPods Pro if you really must have the white earbuds. Yeah, 100%. I mean, yeah. that's the thing, right? Like AirPods, you can buy a good pair of noise-canceling earbuds today. I'm talking about, um, you know, surprisingly, TCL mm -hmm. has the Move Audio S600 that are really, really good. $99 wireless charging and active noise-canceling. You got the Ear One from Nothing that are yeah. a little more than that. And uh, those are the ones I would recommend if you want to spend less than $150. And at that price, sure, you don't get that seamless Apple ecosystem integration. Sure. 100%. You don't probably get the sound quality in terms of call quality that you would get with the AirPods. I think there's honestly nothing can touch the AirPods for call quality. There's very few. Maybe uh, some of the, um, what is it called? The company that's been making phone call specific earbuds forever now. Oh, Jabra. Jabra, right? Obviously, yes. now they've evolved beyond that, but sure. they have, you know, decades of experience doing telephony stuff. So, but I'm yes. just saying, like, in my experience, that's always the first thing you give up, right? Yeah. But I think that, you know, that's kind of a tough sell that the AirPods are 150. So I think my advice, possibly here, uh, not having used any of these, but more like based on the price, is mm -hmm. wait six months or a year before, you know, get the discounts on these third gen. Not even that. You know, not I even. Say. Okay. You know, I think that I think it's I think it, you know the the speed that we've seen the discounts come in on previous generations of AirPods. You know, they it's fast. You know, I think within like three to six months we're going to see enough knocking the price off that the difference there between the street price of AirPods Pro is like oh okay that's enough to make right. me not spend that bit extra. And Black Friday and the holidays are coming, so there should be some sales. I think that yeah we. Um, it is, we are in a very weird time at the moment in the tech sales world. And so I think the companies will be doing everything they possibly can to get the money out of our pockets. You know, you got to empty that inventory so you can't replenish it because of the ship supply. Absolutely. You, if you have an empty <laughs> warehouse, it echoes better and then you can record music videos. I mean, look, folks, I don't want to be you know negative because, well, I do that enough already. But I just, <laughs> I just feel like I'm worried that honestly, after this holiday season, we're going to have a vacuum in terms of ability of products. 
I, I think we're already seeing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that there are there are multiple products that, you know, either have been meant to be coming into review or that I have had to review. And then all of a sudden, you know, the launch date gets pushed back by a month, by two months, whatever, from a variety of different kind of industries, everything from, you know, accessories through to smart home stuff to air purifiers to whatever, just because, you know, suddenly you get an email saying, ah, yeah, unfortunately, all of our stock is actually on a ship that's kind of like off the coast, off the West Coast, that's sort of in a circling storm of, yeah. of yeah. 80, 800 other ships there, or that they just can't build them in the first place to put them on the ships. So it's very odd times. and I don't think it's going to get any any better for a while. I mean, we're going to talk about EVs, but I just want to, as an aside, since tangents mm-hmm. are all about this show, I'm sure. currently reviewing the Mercedes EQS. And I have the one with the hyper screen, which does insane 50 something inch screen, right? That's yes. really three displays behind a piece of curved glass. Mm-hmm. And so I went to price it. I went to build my car. You know, like you get a review car and you're trying to establish like what are the features they picked to give me this car. So I went right. to build it and I couldn't find the hyper screen anywhere. And so I'm like, what's going on? And then I ping them about it and they're like, oh yeah, sorry. We don't have this in the build sheet because we don't have enough supply. If you want a car with a hyperscreen, you're going to have to wait till 2022. Yeah. And I'm like, so wait, why does mine have it? Like, I guess <laughs> it is not a production unit. Oh, I don't no, know. Usually the, the press fleet normally comes a little earlier from the, the final uh, pre-production ones, typically. <laughs> um, so, so you get to play with go. stuff that- other people don't get to play with quite yet. <laughs> mm, I love it. Love, that car is interesting because it, a lot of people are looking at it. I think that in a many when ways... When I drive it. Oh, yes. No, absolutely. And I park I mean, it. It, it. Yes, it is an interesting looking car, that one. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it again in a yep. second. So my question, since we're like kind of continuing on this Beats and AirPods thing, do the Beats sound as good for phone calls as the AirPods then? I have found yes. Um, okay. I mean, because it's, I mean, they're based on the same H- Apple H1 chip. Um, obviously, it's Beats microphones. They have the, the two microphones on the outside and one on the inside to kind of have the, to do the adjustments based on what your ear is actually hearing. Um, they have been, yeah, I mean, I haven't, I've had them next, you know, I've, I've had them both to choose from on the desk next to me as I've been making calls over the past few days and I have gone for the Beats every time. And I think part of it is because, the fit is just better and it feels more secure. And so that that kind of is enough for me to to say, okay, this is something that I'd I would rather reach for. And you can't hear your fan or the cat when it complains. <laughs> oh no, you can definitely hear the cat. Oh, okay. She is loud enough to be heard over any noise. She should be used, in fact, by headphone manufacturers to test the test. active noise cancellation <laughs> because she is um she is exceptionally loud and demanding. That is amazing. Ah, <laughs> oh, wonderful. So hey. Speaking of anything else you want to talk about these, I mean, you've, we're, I'm going to link to your reviews in the show notes, but mm-hmm. in all, I mean, if you had a budget of like say $190 since now yep. we, we can get, I mean, I'm not sure what the Beats Fit Pro costs, but let's say $200, do yep. which one, I mean, obviously for you, the Fit is the Beats yep. meets, you know, but for the average person, which would you recommend they look at first and, you know, out of those three, like. Third gen AirPods, AirPods Pro, which I think are kind of like the king of the roost in the Apple mm-hmm. land, and then Beats Fit Pro. I would, I think if you know that the Beats, uh, that the, the AirPods fit your ears okay, and if you're okay with kind of like the in earbud, I think, you know, there is a lot to love about um, AirPods Pro. I still, right. I think, would push you towards 
at least trying the the beats because I think that in many ways they've made they have out appled Apple here. You know, they right. I think there's a lot that makes them more appealing than the the AirPods Pro. Okay. And then what about versus the Beats Studio? The Studio Buds are really good. The the ANC is not as good as the ah. AirPods Pro and the um the Fit Pro. That's ju- uh, and I mean I think that's partly because Beats had to develop their own system there whereas yeah, it was with the H1 before. they got. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That makes sense. Cool. Well, there you go, folks. You got a quick look at the uh, AirPods third gen and the Beats Fit Pro. And uh, I'm going to go through a couple of news items now, and then we're going to talk about some EV stuff. Woohoo! Um, the news items are pretty... Uh, I mean, there's so much we talk about. There's so many Galaxy S22 rumors floating around. I don't even want to talk about that because I'm just like, they're rumors, who cares? Mm. But Pixel 6 Pro, which I've been using as my daily phone for the last little while, finally, I'm very happy with it, um, has had some kind of weird flicker, display flicker issue, but it's not while you're using the phone. It's like when the phone is turned off and you push the power buttons partially or something, and the display flickers in a weird way. It's anyway, it's odd. a software problem. Yeah. And it's being fixed and don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think I'm a little worried because when I first saw this headline all over the place. I was like, oh no, you know, Google's got another one of those, you know, launches great phone, has some display issues. But no, this is really, this is not even a problem. It's just some kind of weird bug or something. So don't let that stop you is all I'm saying. And uh, I'll put a link to an Engadget store here so you you have all the info. But but you know, what's your, what's your take? I mean, we've covered the Pixel 6 Pro extensively in the last two shows, but have you played with one? I have not, no. Okay. Um, I think that kind of what what always fascinates me with situations like this, though, is that there is so much that you can fix with software. You know, you would think, okay, display issue. Is this, you know, is it a cable? You know, is it something to do with the way this has been soldered inside? Is this, you know, a PCB thing? Is this going to be a whole big recall situation? And no, they can just push out software and, you know, software rules the roost. It's um, it's really fascinating, you know, just the kind of the changes they can make and the things that they can update later on. From the sound of it, Android 12 maybe also could do with some um, software updates of its own. But, um, you know, I think that um, these are the the travails of the um, early adopter, you know, and if you want to be the first person in your friend group with the the latest and greatest phone, then unfortunately you have to put up with having to go through some of these early stages of like the hurdles. I think it's true for any new tech. Like, you know, we're going to talk about this with EVs. Oh my God, software is really hurting the you know the the traditional car makers right now like that's yeah. what they're struggling with the most you see you know see the companies like you know obviously Tesla but others that are you know more tech savvy i would say and you immediately mm-hmm. notice the difference and and yeah. i think that's that's a big thing we should talk about soon another thing that caught my eye is last week very briefly at the end of the show we mentioned how Qualcomm launched a bunch of new chips before the big reveal that they're going to do in Hawaii. I don't know uh, what we to expect there, but I expect an a, a update or like a new uh, flagship chip uh, replacing mm-hmm. the, the 888. But anyway, they announced the 480 Plus, which is their cheapest 5G chip. But yes. you know, it's really a 600 series chip named 480. I think the marketing on that was kind of a, of a fail because you see that 400 and you go, oh, you don't really want to buy that phone because it's a 400. But then you realize, oh, it's really a 600 in disguise with 5G, right? 
Yeah, it's either um, it's either a marketing fail for people who know what they're looking for in terms of Qualcomm chip ranges, or it's a a really sneaky way of getting into that lower price point without devaluing the other six hundred series. Could be as it's, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those tricky things. I think that I think that whilst, like you say, you know, the the, the big Snapdragon summit that comes up at the end of the year, that you know will be a new eight hundred series flagship. I think the more interesting stuff is kind of in this sort of mid and oh, level sure. range. Just because the amount that they manage to fit in and some of the choices that you have to make when you're designing a chip like that and saying, well, okay, for the next two years, when so, you know when a, an average person, whatever an average person is, has this device, what's going to be the most important things that we have to choose where to put our budget to put in? Because it's not like for a flagship where you can be like, oh, well, let's just put everything in in the big bucket of chip stuff and we'll squeeze it in and here it's all amazing. <laughs> in fact, you know, you have to say, well, okay, do, do people need the very fastest and best carrier aggregation? No. Do they need all of it? You know, what's important? What can people live with? What are the networks going to roll out in the next, you know, two yeah. years that's actually going to be, t- you know, something that you take advantage of? And and what can we kind of be like, eh, okay, would be nice to have, but we're not going to bother. No, I personally uh, have reviewed a f- couple of phones with the 480 and I didn't have any issues. So the 480 Plus was the one that was announced last week. And it's like, mm. you know, like the all the, Qualcomm Plus chips just, you know, crank up the clock speed, maybe a bit more cash and off you go kind of thing, yeah. or maybe bin the chip at manufacturing. I was just going to say, yeah, normally you it's know? just, it's the nicest ones, the, yes, the, the prettiest cupcakes that they then so, sell for the most money. Usually when they announce a chip, like, you know, a phone is landing and guess what? Moto <laughs> has a G51 that was just launched in China, which is in every other way completely forgettable. But I just thought, hey, you know, since we just talked about this chips last week, well, guess what? The other sh- the other shoe dropped, right? So there you yes. go. We're now yep. ready. And it wasn't Xiaomi for once, because Xiaomi always seems to get all the Snapdragon chips first. They really do. I, th- I don't know if there is some kind of deal there or if they are just very quick with their checkbook. Maybe Xiaomi's quicker to write on the checks. I don't know, on the order form. It's- you know, I think it's interesting because I think that Xiaomi is probably kind of like beta testing in some ways sometimes. You know, there is a Snapdragon 780 chip in addition mm-hmm. to the Snapdragon 778 chip. Yes. And the 778 is really the replacement of 765, right? It's mm-hmm. like the so the down-tuned 888, right? Yep. Yet the 780 is a 5 nanometer version of the 778, which is a 6 nanometer chip. And it only exists on, as far as I know, one phone, which is the Xiaomi Mi 11 Lite. And it seems to me like this was totally like that Microsoft chip in the Surface Pro X, like a bespoke chip, one-off for Xiaomi for this particular purpose. It's really weird. I haven't seen it in anything else. Unless it's the other way around and it's a, and it's a chip that Qualcomm is testing production of and they were just like, well, let's let's sell it to one company. We'll make some money on it and it'll give us a, ch- us a chance to test out our five nanometer um, production facilities for yeah, that. Yeah, or maybe the 5 nanometer was too expensive in this current supply issue position. They were going to make a 780 as the kind of the replacement 765, and then they were like, you know what? We need to switch to our old process 6 nanometers. Let's go with that. 778 yep. is what we're going to call it. It's, it's, just, it's just fascinating because, you know, we're talking about every company coming out with their own bespoke chips, right? Like, mm-hmm. obviously, Google teamed up with Samsung for the Tensor chip, and then we've had Microsoft teaming up with Qualcomm for the Surface mm-hmm. Pro X, and then we have, like, rumors of Oppo doing their own thing. Yep. You know, like, and what does that mean? Does that mean they're going to hire Qualcomm or they're going to hire, you know, Samsung or 
somebody else to build or MediaTek to build like a chip that's not called any of that, but has that DNA, right? I think the, the the rumor that I saw was it was a, it was going to be a TSMC partnership that they would be making the chip for. There you them. Go. So exactly how much of the designing will be done internally by Oppo and how much will be done by other people? It, a lot of that just comes down to marketing, I think, and you know who who agrees to give the credit on the contract. Hundred percent. All right, let's switch over to EVs. Let's talk about cars. I mean, obviously, we can talk about any car. This is not just limited to EVs. I just feel like this is what I focus my coverage on. And mm-hmm. it is the future, and it is where things are moving and shaking right now. Sure. A uh, f- couple of news items to get us kind of started talking about what's been going on this week, specifically with the EV revolution. A Ford has their crate motor. It's uh, called the Eliminator. Illuminator, I Illuminator. should say. Uh, it is... A, basically, the the Ford Mustang Mac E GT's rear drive packaged in a you know DIY format, right? In terms yes. of specs and performance, and this is exciting to me because it's like until now, if you're a hobbyist trying to put together an EV from like a classic car or doing some kind of resto mod or whatever it might be, you have to pretty much like you know go to the junkyard and buy a, a broken Tesla or Leaf or Volt or Bolt, get some batteries and motors from various sources and mix and match and then get uh you know some third party motor controller or something to kind of put in the middle mm-hmm. and it's complicated and it's difficult it's a big and frankenstein requires, kind of thing yeah it yeah. requires science and engineering <laughs> some things that you know people might not want to deal with absolutely and i yeah and this is and I, you know there have been you know smaller companies that kind of do these um more kit-like things. There are there's there's a, a couple actually in the UK, funnily enough, that, that have been really popular. That where they they do sort of like almost out of the box kind of kits for certain like the Porsche 944, that kind of thing, so that you can just mm-hmm. unbolt the gas engine. Well, it's slightly more complicated than that, and then drop in like these electric motors. But no one quite as big as Ford. Ford saying, yeah. look, these are exactly the same motors that we use in the the, the Mach-E. These, you know, we will sell them down the line. They're talking they will sell also the the various control things for them and that, you know, all of the other stuff. Not saying anything about saying the batteries yet. So at the moment you you from the, the time being you are still going to have to source that. And that is, as we've seen, one of the big bottlenecks at the moment in the auto world, yeah, kind of getting sure. the batteries and mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But it does make it a lot easier, you know, and it's it's something that you can go onto FordPerformance.com and go to the catalog and order. And I can't remember how much they are, but I think less than you know, four or five thousand dollars a piece. Yeah. And you know, and if you're if you're trying to take your classic car, as you say, or you know something unusual, or if you're trying to build a new car, you know, it's it's a big shortcut, you know. And this is kind of like tried yeah. and tested technology with a warranty. I think it's it's super exciting. This is one of the kind of the turning points, and I think Ford is really. I'm very impressed with what Ford's doing. I think that of all the car makers right now that are like mm-hmm. classic old, you know, existing the traditional, car makers, yes, traditional. Yeah. Thank you. That's the right word. Traditional car makers. They are the ones who've just been doing this 100 percent right so far, in my opinion. I think they have. They have taken like a three pronged approach to it, and you know, we've, you've got the obviously the Mustang Marquis, which is yeah. an incredibly good car, kind of, and I think that got kind of clouded by the controversy of them using the Mustang name for it and whether you like that yeah, or not. Yeah, but I think I'm doesn't... kind of over that now. I yeah. think a lot of people should be over that. They should. Right now. <laughs> I think actually, and when you try it, you know, it's actually, oh my God. It's, it's an incredibly good car. It really is. And and not just, you know, an incredibly good electric car, just an incredibly good car, period. Period. Yeah. I just, 
drove the the Mustang Mach E GT and GT Performance uh, mm-hmm. for Tech Radar recently, and wow, like I I just was like. You know, I come from a Tesla Model 3. I don't have a performance, but I have the acceleration boost on mine. So, yep. you know, 0 60, 3.7 seconds all day, every day. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you live with that, yeah. it's like everything else is just boring. Right. And so you, you're kind of weird expectations when you test an EV. Mm-hmm. And so I hopped into the, the GT and I was just like, this is, I would buy this. This is, mm-hmm. I'm not a, I'm not a crossover person. That kind of pisses me off that it's a crossover, not the Mustang name so much, <laughs> but I understand the market. And I, yeah. if, you know, the Model 3 didn't exist, that's what I would get right now, personally. It's, yeah, and it's a really nicely packaged, you know, there is just a lot to like about it. And then at the same time, you have the, the F-150 Lightning, which I think I is going to be massive. They have more than 160,000 reservations. I think it's going to be a bigger game changer than the Model 3 when it finally hits. I think you could be right. I think that the the truck market is so big and the and and the commercial truck market is so big and if the, once the fleets kind of get to grips with it and the infrastructure there is set up, you know, there are just lots and lots of reasons why it makes so much sense for a lot of people. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be big. I, I feel like personally, you know, like the Cybertruck's kind of crazy. It's not my thing. But having owned two Teslas now, I'm on my second Model 3 after th- I traded mine in after three years. My rear-wheel drive initial one that I had mm-hmm. from the er- you know, first, first first series of it that they made. It, it's like, I love all the benefits. I love autopilot and I love the supercharger network. And I've traveled a lot with my Tesla and I've benefited from being able to do road trips because of it. And that's, I think, now feasible with the other charging networks. So I'm less worried about that. Yeah. But I still feel that I, I would, you'd think I would have a bias towards Cybertruck, but I'm just feeling like if I look at it rationally in the market mm. right now, something that looks more like what people expect a truck to look like, which is, I think, what Rivian's doing, or yeah. even better, something that can fit all the things you might already have or works into an existing ecosystem that has a lot to offer would be more interesting. For me, you know, the next thing that I want to do in my own stable of cars is replace this Volkswagen camper that I love with something electric. We would love to have some sort of electric camper, you know, something with a decent enough range that we can drive for a day and get quite a bit further than when where we are not like you know a hundred mile hop every day that right. would be a little yeah. too little i mean so you know in, in that regard there's nothing out there you know the, the electric vans yeah. don't have the range no. and so we're looking at trucks and maybe putting a truck camper on the back of it well guess what cyber trucks probably going to have a bespoke truck camper option by somebody i think there's one that was already like kickstarter there's or definitely something. renders of one yes right yeah but then you look out there and you can buy any F-150 capable, compliant, whatever truck camper and put it on the back. Now, your range is going to suffer for sure. Sure. But the reality is you're still going to be able to achieve that dream and that goal immediately, right? Yep. Which I think is going to be a big, a big differentiator for them. Absolutely. I mean, there is a lot to be said for something that is familiar, you know, and I think that I like Tesla, you know, and I think they obviously have achieved a lot. They've done a lot. They have propelled the market in a, a really big way. I do think that Ford kind of made the right decision when it came to, you know, let's make this an F-150 that is electric rather than let, let's make some weird electric thing that we will try to sell to F-150 buyers. And without compromising what we need and expect in an EV. That's a thing that I have so much problems with cars like the Mazda MX-30 or mm-hmm. like I... 
I don't hate them, but I just feel that they do not. I, I feel the best EVs are the ones that are unapologetically EVs. Yeah. You know, and you can still do that in a traditional form factor with traditional controls. Yeah. Like the Ford F one fifty demonstrates, but you get all the benefits. You get the frunk. You get the the you know the dual motor, the torque, the performance, the range. You get all the yeah. goodness. Being able to drive a whole job site's tools based on the the motors, oh or plug God. it in, use it as a backup battery for your house. Yeah, yes, that that stuff is exactly. I mean, they're actually in some ways out you know outpacing Tesla there because Tesla, even though they could do that, doesn't do that right now. The fact that my yeah. Model Three doesn't have one hundred and twenty volt connector anywhere inside of it right that i have to buy my own inverter and plug it into the cigarette plug is ridiculous <laughs> like I, it is it is i just don't understand it like look yeah. at the ionic 5 right it can charge another car yeah it can it has a power outlet built in i mean that's of course you do that right yeah i mean i think it's it's about sort of looking at electricity in a sort of more flexible way and saying well okay it can drive your car but your car is not always going to be driving so what else could you do with that enormous battery yes and as we've seen in texas last year <laughs> you know what you want to do with your extra battery <laughs> yeah well i mean i don't know I, it's you know it's funny i live in beautiful cold michigan now and it is very cold uh, in the winter and sometimes you know we get snow and the power goes out and we've i've been trying to find companies to fit you know generac for instance you know whole home generators yeah. and i'm being told okay well they they are out of stock until the end of next year you know they just can't get them from the factory so the idea of being able to park a car or a truck in the garage plug that in and if the power goes out then suddenly you know my car or truck is powering the house for 12 or 24 hours or however long it takes for the power company to come and kick into action. That's really appealing. And I think that it's that sort of thing, actually, which will sell almost an equal number of electric vehicles, you know, because I think that saying, okay, well, it's zero emissions, you don't have to go to a gas station, whatever, it's better for the environment, that will convince some people. But I think there are some people who will be convinced by the fact of, oh, wow, okay, this is a Tesla Powerwall on wheels. You know, and mm -hmm. I can drive it. And when I'm not driving it, it will keep my fridge and freezer, you know, from defrosting should the power go out. You know, it'll keep my <laughs> air conditioning on in the summer. It'll keep my heating on in the winter. You know, that this is that I'm investing not just in a way of transportation, but in, you know, something extra for my house. I think that's a really big selling point. And I think Ford has been quite clever in emphasizing that from the very get go. Yeah, 100%. I can just imagine you you're picking up the phone and like, uh, hey, Ford PR, can you bring a <laughs> F-150 Lightning to my house right now, please? You, yeah, I, I need to, and to an electrician. the kettle. Yeah, just, you know, I'd, <laughs> my electric uh, blanket has stopped working. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really do think Ford's up to something uh, with these yeah. products. Like, you know, they, they seem to have really just embraced it without you know, moaning and groaning and making yep. promises that they're not delivering and actually delivering a product that is competitive. And even though they have their own flair to it, right? I think it's it's still something that to me as somebody who was a bit of an EV purist and a, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like extreme in my in my views on EVs, because I come from the Tesla world, I feel that, you know, I would be happy with their products. And I'm starting to feel that way about more and more of these cars that I'm using and trying out, you know? Yeah. And conversely, we, we're seeing Tesla now making their supercharging network available to other EVs, and they just started a trial, right? Is it in, in the Netherlands or Norway? In the Netherlands, or yes. 
10 locations um, where if you are a driver from the Netherlands, you can't be a driver from elsewhere and drive into the Netherlands, actually. You have to be living it. Yes, just as part of the trial, I think. They're trying to limit, I think, the number of people who who actually take part so as not to really upset the the Tesla owners, maybe. But yeah, on these 10, 10 locations, you have to have the Tesla app, but then you can basically go along, plug in, you will pay per kilowatt hour, like just as you would normally at any other electric car charger. And they are trying to see how it goes. And, you know, yeah. see if this is, um, if this is something that uh, they, because they, they say they want to expand the trial. And then really the plan is that this will be for superchargers all over that, you know, they will be open to third party cars, which is something they they have talked about for a while now. Yeah, no, I'm on board as a, even as a Tesla owner. I think that they can, you know, I've heard that the strategy, the way they want to implement it is very smart. Like if you get to a supercharger where the stalls are in heavy use, mm-hmm. they will start limiting the amount of non-Teslas that can access it, like to yep. make sure there's still enough room for their primary customer, which I mm-hmm. think is very smart. Um, obviously, uh, they're starting in the Netherlands because the connector is universal there, right? They're yes. using uh, CCS Combo 2 in Europe nowadays on the Model 3. So the all the superchargers have dual plugs. They have the old custom European plug they used to have and then mm-hmm. the uh, CCS Combo 2, uh, which is used on the Model 3 and Y and all the new S's yes. and X's in Europe. And in US, they have a proprietary cable, unfortunately, only on the supercharger network. And as you know, they have a lot of superchargers to retrofit here. Yes. So I don't think we're going to see that. I think what's more likely to happen is that they're going to sell an adapter people have to buy or make an adapter available through a vending machine or something Maybe. on site, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. It's only certain charges as well in the, the Netherlands will at the locations will actually be available. Right. You know, you have to there will be a sticker on them or some sort of badging that says, okay, this one is available to anyone. So I think they are being, yeah, very careful, like you say, in not alienating the original kind of Tesla audience. But I think this makes a lot of financial sense. You know, I think we've already seen them move away from you know, you, you can't get free supercharging now when you buy a car as you used to in the yeah, you know, when you right. bought a Model S, Model X. Um it's become like this almost like a separate business. And I, th- you know, and I yeah. think we have seen how Electrify America, I think is a good example of, you know, that's yeah. something that Volkswagen was forced to, to fund as part of the Dieselgate settlement. And I think has been the best thing that could have happened to it. It's fantastic. Yeah. There's this idea of having an electric um, car network for charging that is across the country and they can actually then sell that access to other people as well. And it kind of, you know, it's, I think, it it makes just such a strong argument then for EVs and EV ownership that, you know, there are these DC fast chargers and obviously there are never enough of them and more will be good. But I think as Tesla starts to make more money from third party use of the superchargers, that will then fund expansion of the supercharger network, which is a net benefit for everyone. Yeah. And I think they also are less likely to, you know, taste the wrath of government organizations that are starting to regulate this stuff like they're starting to force uh, a a universal stand which i think is absolutely necessary um i love my plug and charge like that's one of the reasons i love my supercharger network and my tesla is that i don't Mm -hmm. have to do anything half the time i don't even check that the light went green because (laughs) in the app it'll tell me if it failed and my phone will buzz before i even looked at the light yeah i mean this happened i think on twice in the hundreds of times I've supercharged sure. now in three or four years almost. <laughs> so um, it's very reliable. But the point is that 
other EVs right now don't all support that. You you might have to swipe a credit card or tap your phone yeah. or or tap a an NFC card that you've pre uh, you've pre connected to an account. Mm -hmm. It's it's a bit the wild west right now, and I think if you don't have a Tesla, it makes it a little challenging. Yeah. But this is coming, this plug and charge idea where the car has your credit card information or the account for your car has credit card information and the car talks to the charger and, you know, gives it a unique serial number or ID number of some kind. And then it's, it's linked to your account and you don't have to deal with any kind of transaction on the spot. Mm -hmm. It's it's all happening behind the scenes. Your credit card gets charged, you get a receipt and and you're done. This is, I think, where where we need to go and where we're headed, which I think is exciting. And conversely, Tesla has been testing in Korea an adapter that lets you use CCS Combo 1, which is the North American DC charging plug standard mm -hmm. on adapt to the custom super you know, supercharger Tesla okay. plug. So, so what that means is that if they start selling that adapter in the U.S., because Korea has the same custom connector as the U.S. Mm -hmm. and is also using CCS Combo One, like the U.S., mm -hmm. so that means that we're going to start seeing adapters very soon that will let me, as a Tesla user, plug into Electrify America, which okay. right now I can't do. I can only plug into you know standard AC charging with right. the supply adapter, which yes. is J1772, which is half yes. of the combo one adapter. right it doesn't have the fast bits on the top yeah correct doesn't have the dc part so i can't wait personally to start using dc chargers that are not tesla for mm -hmm. the odd chance that i need to and i am totally happy that other people are going to be using the, the yeah. tesla network of superchargers so i think this is kind of part of what we're what we're talking about this it's kind of accelerating like this kind of like the ball is rolling down the hill and just picking up yeah. you know everything yeah. in its path and it's kind of fascinating to finally see that like we're just always looking at the top of the hill saying is that avalanche gonna happen and here we are it's it's, it's coming eventually know. eventually yeah and we are finally kind of seeing this year to next year the kind of the year after this kind of big rush of of cars from big names um and not just kind of super expensive stuff which i think you know right. is the other part that you know the other big part 100%. yes because because you know electric cars have been typically a more expensive thing you know they have not been um attainable for people you know who are on kind of mainstream budgets you know you have to kind of specifically want something so what are the cars that are already out that are available and this can be not just us so just mm -hmm. you know because my audience is pretty international mm -hmm. that you are very excited about and then what are the cars that are coming that you're excited about so I, uh, I think that the cars that Volvo and, and Polestar are making at the moment are really interesting, um, mm -hmm. based on the, the Volvo CMA platform, um, which is also used actually by a couple of the other cars, by other Geely brands. Um, and I always forget which. There are quite a variety <laughs> of them. Chinese they, 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 car maker brands is just like, I can't keep track. Super convoluted tree of, of things, they, but they are doing a lot. And um, so yeah, I drove the C40 Recharge recently, which is... Um, yeah, I missed out on that, unfortunately. It's, it's an interesting kind of little slippery kind of crossovery SUV coupe it, thing. It seems like a smaller Polestar 2, but in crossover. Right? It's about the same size. It's, so it's, oh, okay. it's basically so it an, XC, a... it's an XC40 Recharge with a sloping rear roof, basically. So, so it's, you um, take a Polestar 2... You keep its drivetrain, and then you take a an XC40, and you chop the back off to make it more like the Polestar, and you marry the two, and you get the uh, the C40. Yeah, and at first, I must admit, I didn't get it because I was like, "Well, why would you 
why why would you not just buy an XC40 recharge if you want a Volvo a Volvo electric SUV or if you want like that sort of fast back shape why would you not just get a Polestar 2 I was like this right, makes no exactly. sense and the more I thought about it and the more I drove it actually it kind of made me think well look Volvo like all of the other automakers is going all electric you know they're talking about by a certain you know by a certain point in the not too distant future they will not be producing new gas diesel cars they will only be producing electric cars and you know they have you know various different sizes and shapes of SUV and sedan and crossover and swoopy crossover you know and then you go you look at someone like BMW and they have an X3 and an X4 and an X5 or you go to GMC or any GM brand and they have 60 billion different variants of the same right. thing on the same platform with slightly and different shapes. And the ID5 just came out which is a coupe sure, a swoopy version, version of the ID4. ID4. Yeah. So it's like yeah. I think we it's kind of almost about sort of training ourselves to not look at like okay well this is this brand's EV and to say well okay every vehicle in this brand's catalog has to be replaced with an electric one if that you know and maybe they will take the opportunity to kind of cull some of the ones that aren't doing so well like we saw Ford did when it said okay we're not going to make any sedans anymore for the North America but right. this is you know they need like there is room in the market i think for lots of different slight variations and so I think it's about kind of evolving that, you know, we have been so excited to see the first EVs coming through and be like, oh my goodness, you're making it. It's, it's almost like saying, well, why did Volvo waste the second, their second EV on something which is so similar? And it's like, well, actually the platform is ready and they're going to do bigger ones. They're going to do even bigger ones again. You know, we're going to see the, the replacements of the XC90 next year on the brand new platform. And mm-hmm. it's just, it, it takes time to kind of flourish throughout. And so I was really impressed, not just by how well it drives because you know it, it drives nicely i think it's i think it's volvo's most potent car at the moment actually the the c40 recharge it's closer to the polestar 2 all-wheel drive in terms of performance and, yes. and the way it drives than the xc40 recharge right yes I, it's yeah. yeah they're all very similar but it is slightly more kind of like sporty a little bit faster a bit mm-hmm. more kind of aerodynamically slippery and it, it just it kind of made a lot of sense you know if i'm if i'm a um if I'm a person, who, I keep want to say NIMBY, but it's not NIMBY. It's the person, you know, <laughs> d- um, Dink, uh, you know, dual income, no yeah, kids. Yeah. You know, that's the one. Um, <laughs> and if I'm that person, or maybe I have a dog that I want to take with me or something, or, you know, you know, I don't need like adult sized back seats, then, you know, that's, it's, it's a stylish kind of way to, to be electric, but also get all that Volvo goodness. And, you know, I think that's a good thing. For sure, I think it's uh, you know it's interesting. I'm I'm I haven't driven the Polestar yet. The uh, Polestar Two, I'm getting in rear wheel drive model soon to uh, ride it. I want to write an in depth article on Android Automotive, and so I've I finally connected with Polestar PR, and they're gonna be lending me a Polestar, oh, the rear wheel drive, the new one, mm-hmm. the new, new one. for the US one. Yes, very soon, like hopefully in December sometime. So that's exciting to me because the only other time I've used Android Automotive so far is on the Lucid Air. <laughs> right. And it's a completely different ballgame. Have us a slightly different market there. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of, uh, we talked about the ID4. I, I got to drive the ID4 all-wheel drive as one of my first stories. And I have to say, like, everybody told me, oh, the rear-wheel drive one is really slow. You're not going to like it. And then I have to say that I'm glad they made the all-wheel drive because I liked it enough that I'd be like, okay, I can see how I could recommend this to some folks. Sure. Coming from my, you know, acceleration Skewed, crazy yes, everyday yeah. view of the world. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but I think that uh, I don't know if I'd want to go like much slower than that. I feel like, as I said before, I feel like what makes EV so unique really needs to stand out to get people on board. 
And and for some people that might not be acceleration, right? Mm-hmm. But for some people, I think it might be. Yeah, and I think that we are seeing kind of that that breadth, the, you know, and that you know the, there are going to be very fast electric cars. And I think for some people, the idea of just having a car which does exactly what their existing one does, but they don't need to ever go to a gas station, it's always charged when they need it because they leave it plugged in at home. I think that is a really compelling argument for a certain audience. And I think 100%. we're going to sort of we're seeing this kind of expansion now from like the early adopters and the people who are doing it because maybe they want that instant talk or whatever. And we, all of a sudden, there are lots of people with lots of different reasons for why they pick the car they buy. Um, and some of them, you know, you, you look at that and you think, well, goodness, why did you buy that? You know, that was an interesting yeah. choice. That is not what I would have picked first, second, third, twelfth, ninety second. But it works for them for some reason. And I yeah, think that we are seeing that kind of expansion in EVs too. I have to remember that. I think that it's like, you know, like the MX-30 from Mazda. My story's coming out this weekend. Uh, it was a month ago that I drove it, but I just didn't get around to, to like putting my thoughts on paper for a little while. Have you driven it? What, what are not. your thoughts on that? I think that it's a, it's a fascinating one because I think that the sales target with that is under 600 cars. Yeah, 560 cars in California Something, only. It's like, yeah. it just feels like a compliance car from 10 years ago all over again. 100 mile a, range. I think it's a combination of that. And I think it's also, I think it's a prototype for them. I think that this is, gives for them sure. a chance to to try out technologies and to charge people for it in the process. You know, and they so they make a bit of money back to cover that R&D. And then we will see a next generation Mazda EV. Because I mean, Mazda have been slow to electrification. You know, they have for pushed- sure. And they've done some really great things with, you know, making more efficient gas and diesel engines over the years that, you know, yep. they have really been, the Skyactiv di- uh, gas and diesel engines are really good for gas and They're diesel really engines. Great. Um, mm-hmm. And so they have kind of like twisted as much as the squeezed as much as they can out of that. And now they need to do electric and electric car development is incredibly expensive. So, I mean, I think that there is a good argument if you are trying to build an electric car to be like, well, okay, let's develop this kind of in public view and we'll sell we can probably sell 560 of them, you know, or lease them and go out and let them do their thing. And then, you know, we will learn from that. And in the meantime, we'll be working on something which is slightly more broader market ready. Yeah. I think personally, as much as I didn't like the exterior styling, that's a personal taste thing. Mm-hmm. I think some people would love it. And I think that the interior is superb. The driving dynamics are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much a Mazda in that sense. But the performance is where I have issues. It, it's it, all the range I can live with. Like personally, I think the Mini Cooper SE, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'll be reviewing hopefully soon, uh, I've got a car coming at some point, is, you know, I'm not, ca- I don't care about the range. Like I know for me, it's important because I live in an apartment and I, you know, probably charging is the only way for me to go. I don't have a mm-hmm. way to plug in. So I want a bit more range since I work from home. I don't dry off. And that means I go to the supercharger every two, three weeks, maybe at most. Right. And then I have a bunch of free level two chargers in the neighborhood. Uh, Volta Charging is headquarters is five blocks away from oh, my okay. house. So it's right. very convenient. Yeah. I just drop my car off for a couple of hours, get 50 miles and, you know, go for a walk. But so I'm not worried about the range as much with the MX-30 and cars like the Mini Cooper SE. I'm more worried about the pricing and the fact that perform. they've really actually purposely made it perform like actually slower than a CX-30. It's 0 to mm-hmm. 69.4 seconds. Yeah. The CX-30 does it in something like 8, right? And yeah. and I'm not, this is, we're not talking about acceleration that's crazy regardless here. I mm-hmm. just find it very strange that 
I'm wondering if there's a technical limitation on how much juice they can pull out of that battery pack without, you know, damaging it, or if it's like something else because it's front wheel drive with a rear weight bias, it's 40 front, 60 rear, like, and then you lose traction if you accelerate too fast, mm -hmm. right? Because the front wheels, are, sure. uh, the weight distribution goes backwards. I don't know what it is, but I found it very strange that they, that they kind of justified this jerk minimum theory of theirs. And the price, like you can buy a Chevy Bolt and or a Nissan Leaf Plus and or a Hyundai Kona for the same price. And those all have 200 plus range, right? Yeah. So they might not be as cool looking, but I, I just feel like I agree with you. They need to get there and that's mm -hmm. the stepping stone and they might as well yeah. make some money in the process. Yeah. I'm just, I just want to see a little bit more thought in how you can get more people on EVs, right? Yeah. yeah, I think that I am not kind of looking to Mazda as leading the, the push there. <laughs> I don't think Japan is where it's at either in general right now. I, which is interesting because, I mean, I think, you know, at one point, you know, Toyota was definitely leading the push in, in hybrids, you know, yeah. and then, you know, Honda has had hybrid stuff too. But when it's come to like actually making fully electric cars or even plug-in hybrids, they've both kind of been very slow to embrace that. Um, so I heard there's a cultural reason for this. I heard that from, I heard this from Japanese folk and from people who spend a lot of time, that are Westerners who spend a lot of time working in the automotive industry in Japan. After the, the Fukushima nuclear disaster, the the people of Japan were became very weary of their electric utility companies and of the you know losing power in a big uh, natural disaster interesting and so that precipitate and if you look at the context right that's like a decade ago roughly mm -hmm. so look at the context of we didn't know which way we were going to go by then yet right battery electric or hydrogen fuel cell or mm -hmm. some other you know ev technology like hybrids i mean plug-in hybrids to, mm -hmm. be, to be real and so you know, so you had cars like the Clarity, which come in three flavors, or like the Ionic, uh, the, the not the not five, the regular Ionic right. from Hyundai that comes in three flavors, and it, it's like, what do we do if there's no power? And and so I think that's and and also like we can't rely on electricity alone, and so hydrogen became the big push because of that. <laughs> and then you know, with with Mr. Toyota being the chair of the Japanese Automobile Manufacturers Association and being the the CEO president of the biggest car company in mm. the world. Well, I guess they're duking it out with the Volkswagen group. But anyway, one of the biggest, mm -hmm. it's like that nobody's going to, you know, with Japanese culture, nobody's going to raise their hand and say, Hey, we need to do BEVs. This, this is a thing. This is going to happen. Yeah. Even if not like, maybe not for our domestic market, mm -hmm. like, but for the rest of the world, because we are leaders in the rest of the world, like we need yeah. to get on board. Nobody's going to raise that that hand, right? Yeah. So I think that's what's been happening. And now that they're seeing, you know, Volkswagen get into it, Volkswagen mm -hmm. like Group, right? Audi, Porsche. Oh yeah. Oh my God, I drove a Taycan recently. I gotta tell you about that. Yeah. And then and then Ford definitely is delivering. Mm -hmm. Like they're starting to realize, oh crap! Like we need. To, and so I think Toyota is at the verge of giving us something yes. that's meaningful because they can't because it's the budget to develop the technology and work with others to make it happen. But I think culturally they've been slow because of this i think it's interesting it's yeah. it's very interesting there's a bunch of articles out there that i read that kind of explain some of that stuff and it's i'd never would have occurred to me until i read mm. these articles that that's what the problem is right hmm. yeah i think that 
I mean, I must admit that that I have thought, you know, with power outages here, you know, they don't happen super often, but they do happen, you know, and around the US, as we've seen, the the grid is definitely not as resilient as I think we all took for granted. Um, You know, and you do wonder, well, okay, what happens if if your electricity supply goes out, you know, and, um, you know, if your car is fully electric, how do you charge it up? And I think, you know, the flip side to that is because, well, if all the power is out, well, gas stations don't have any power either and they can't pump your gas. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I think that a pl- having this kind of the reassurance of a plurality of um, uh, of power sources is really interesting. It's funny, I so we lease or have leased up until recently a um, a Chevrolet Golf, uh, no, Chevrolet Volt, um, the, okay. the plug-in hybrid. Which has been really good. It has been problem free for three years, which is more than you can say for most Chevrolets. Um, no, <laughs> and Slam. It would, I know I'm joking, but it has been excellent, and it has like sixty odd miles of electric range, and then the gas motor kicks in. You have like three, four hundred total miles, whatever. And so I, you know, coming into the end of the lease, and it was like, well, okay, let's buy another plug-in hybrid. You know, it's nice to have that reassurance of being able to drive across the state or whatever if you want to, and and. I looked to find one which would have equal or more range to the Volt that's the on sale at the part, moment. Right? Yes, the electric part. And you couldn't, and, right? Well, there are two cars, one of which was the Polestar 1, which is $155,000. Uh, pricey, yeah. Ever so slightly out of my range. And the other was the, um, the Fisker GS6, the, the former um, the Fisker Karma, um, which yeah, was yeah. reborn out of the Karma which... Rivera, which is also sort of, you know, like yeah. a, a couple of times the price of, of a Volt. And everything else, every other plug-in hybrid on the market has less electric range than the Volt did that three years ago. I don't think people buy them for that purpose. I think that's what yeah. we would like to yeah. as automotive journalists slash environmentalists slash you know, automotive industry people like yeah. to think. But I think people buy them because they get uh, you know, carpooling and they get uh, sure. some kind of government discount and they yeah. never, ever plug them in. I think now, you're right. It's There are lots of people who do, don't get me wrong, but in the no, I'm sure that there are, things, but I, yes, I think you're right. It's And it's it's kind of, it's sad. It does feel like a little bit of a missed opportunity because I think for a lot of people, particularly people in your situation who, you know, live right. in an apartment in a city, they don't have, you know, public charging right at that where they live and, you know, maybe they don't have it where they go to work. And maybe they are not quite as willing as you are to go for a walk or find somewhere, or maybe they just don't have like within reasonable distance, you know, like the, you know, a supercharger and the infrastructure there, which is still absent across the country. You know, there are still lots of places where there are no charges, public charges anywhere. And so I think that having that kind of like as a stopgap thing, whilst that situation changes is um, kind of a missed opportunity. But I think, you know, they're very hard to explain. You know, and even now, after three years, trying to explain the vault and the way it works is tricky, and it's more than most non-car people want to consider. Yeah, my biggest issue, and again, I'm a purist because of it, is that I feel the complexity is is hard to justify. It's like, look, I'm not against IC, you know, internal combustion engine cars. I love them. I will mm-hmm. always have some sort of gasoline car with a stick shift in my stable because I just love them. I just sure. really, it's where I, that's my, my heritage in terms of me having been driving for like, what is it, 30 years of my life or more mm-hmm. now. But at the same time, like add that complexity to a battery EV and then, you know, the maintenance issues around that. Mm-hmm. And it 
And then you lose the fun part. You lose the stick shift option possibility, sure. right? And then, then what's the point? Like, I might as well have all the torque, all the power, all the range, and carry around 1,200 pounds of batteries with me. That's kind of how I, think, I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, and I think there is a really solid argument there. I think that, yeah, I think that there, there are... I think that there are different setups for everyone. And I think that it, we are just at that kind of very interesting point where we're sort of saying goodbye to some of the stuff and saying yeah. hello to others. And we're in a kind of a transition period, which is tricky. Um, it's tough. But interesting, incredibly fascinating. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And so, you know, I feel like I want to push battery EVs on people because I want to look the it's it's the, there are some compromises and the compromises you carry a lot of extra weight with you all mm -hmm. the time. But that's really the only compromise. Like we just talked about how the XC40 recharge and the C40 recharge and the Polestar 2 are essentially, you know, the same car underneath. Mm -hmm. Same as same with the Model 3 and the Model Y. Same yeah. with so many. I think modularity in EVs is going to be what's going to really be exciting. And mm -hmm. we've seen that somewhat with internal combustion engine cars, you know, like Volkswagen is M MQB or whatever platform, right? right. And, and others. But I think that with EVs, we're going to see, you know, such a broad range of vehicles built on this kind of concept of a skateboard, mm -hmm. of the battery pack between the axles, and then either one or two motor setup with all-wheel drive or generally rear-wheel drive, it seems mm -hmm. to be, that I think that that's like, that's going to open up some really great options to customize and to individualize vehicles and or to make fleets of vehicles possible. Yeah. You know, I think America is going to be a, having a hard time with that because people like to own things and I get that. Mm. But frankly, I tell everyone right now, if you get an electric car, lease it because the technology yeah. changes so fast and it's not so much the software you have to worry about because some companies like Tesla deliver updates and improvements every yeah. month or so. And I think the rest of the, you know, traditional car makers are finally getting on board. Yeah. Although so far their update track record hasn't been that great. So I really hope they get on with that. But I think that this is the hardware. Like my Model 3 today looks identical essentially other than a few trim pieces that are different from the Model 3 I bought in 2018. Right. Yet the hardware underneath improved drastically in those sure. three and a half years to the point where my car couldn't get some of the features in software because it was it needed a computer upgrade and some sensors right. upgraded and the battery pack was an older technology. Mm -hmm. And so I was getting less range for the same weight. So what I got is a faster car with more range, with more features by just trading it in. Yeah. And thankfully I'm leasing, so it's pretty trivial to trade it in. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I know I don't own it, but frankly, it works. And I think yeah. that, you know, we're moving to subscription model. Porsche has it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think uh, Volvo had it or has it as well. Volvo has Kerr by Volvo. Yeah, they, they do. Yeah, that. and I think that, you know, it's still a little pricey. I think that once Toyota and GM and Ford mm -hmm. have enough EVs that they can start a subscription-based yeah. model like this, where you can keep a car for three months and get another one and you just pay a monthly payment and the insurance is rolled in and everything's mm -hmm. rolled in. That's, I think that's where we're going. And I think that for a lot of Americans, it's going to be a red flag and a, and a hard no. But I think eventually they'll get over it. And eventually that's kind of where we're going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you think of all this? Cars as a service. Yeah. You think we're ready? I think that we are, I think that we are getting there. I think that, like you said, that we need like a, a plurality of cars before we can do that. Um, I think the Kerr by Volvo thing, the, their subscription is really interesting 
because it really does, they position it as like it's, you are paying for convenience as well. You know, you don't have to worry about getting a separate insurance quote. You don't have to worry about road tax or anything of these things. It is all just bundled in and servicing. And if you need your car serviced, you book it in in the app and someone turns up and they leave you a loaner car and they drive away yours and then they come and swap them again. And I think that there are some people who will pay for convenience. And there are some people who are like, oh, well, actually, you know, I'd rather, you know, I do the math and with my credit rating, you know, the lease is better and, you know, I can, and I think like you say, it will take a big company coming in and, and doing it. But I think the, the big thing will be incentives from the manufacturers, you know, and kind of pushing the lease deals. You know, if you look at when Jeep launched the Wrangler 4XE, their plug-in mm-hmm. hybrid yeah. version of the Jeep, it was the best selling hybrid um, when it, in the month that it first launched. And one of the reasons <laughs> for that is that they had a lease deal where you could get one for, I think, like $230 a month with nothing down. And, you know, nice. it's like, okay, well, what else could you get in the in the world for $230 a month? You know, I... So, a Toyota Corolla? Uh, possibly, yeah. Maybe? Maybe. You know, if you got a, if you found a, a decent dealer. Um, so I think that, you know, there are really big ways that the, the automakers can say, look, this is something that we really want to push. This is something we're taking seriously. We think this is a big deal. This is where we are committing to. This is where we're committing our manufacturing heft to. And if it doesn't work out and if all of a sudden there's still a huge demand for gas cars, we're a bit screwed. You know, I think they need to have those pressures as well. And it, because at the moment, I think that they sell, you know, Ford is selling all of the Mustang Rockies that it can make. I think Tesla yeah. is selling all of the Teslas that it can make. I think for yeah. most of the electric cars, they are producing cars and they are selling the number of cars that they are building. I think as soon as it gets to the point where the floodgates are opened and they are just building, 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 and it is at the same rate as Corollas coming off a of production line, then it's like, well, okay, let's, you know, we can't just count on people being into EVs to come and, you know, and want these cars. We need to make yeah. these incredibly popular. And I think we are close to that. I think we are now disrupted slightly because of the yeah, supply chain say, stuff. Yeah, supply chain is going to slow us down a bit, but I give it two years. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think two or three years and we will get to the stage where where everyone is kind of where GM ended up with the, the Bolt, you know, yeah. where it kind of, they'd sold, GM had sold enough electric vehicles that they no longer qualified for the, for the discount, EV incentive. Yeah. Yeah. And so they just had to say, well, okay, how can we make this the cheapest we can? They launched the 2022 model, I think it was, and and knocked like seven grand off the price, bringing it down yeah. to basically what you would pay if you had the incentive. And they said, okay, this is not the very latest technology, but you still get 265 miles of range and it drives pretty well. And we're going to throw in things like Super Cruise on the Bolt EUV and yeah. you know do what they can to make it really appealing. And the lease deals on the Bolt have historically always been really pretty, you know, $269 a month or something gets you a new car. Sure. It's kind of it's competitive, and I think as we see more of that, and in different segments, not just kind of like slightly weird-looking Chevy hatchbacks, I think, <laughs> I think you know, the, the, yeah. it, when it's the cars that Americans love to buy, big SUVs and trucks and things, yeah. then that will be the tipping point, you know. And, and, the, and, and the, when the manufacturers are like chomping at the bit to sell them, and people are looking for the best deal, I think that that is that is what makes America great. <laughs> yeah, I think when we get a Mazda Miata MX-5 that is an electric car or a Porsche Boxster that's an electric car, which yeah. we're, we're going to get, it's inevitable. Yeah. There's been rumors of all of that for a while mm-hmm. now. I think that, that w- I would honestly be willing to compromise on range a little bit on these kind of cars uh, because they're not yeah. the daily drivers for most people, right? No. So 
I think it's uh, going to be very interesting. I think the other thing we briefly touched on, I've got this EQS here with a hyper screen, which is a $7,200 option. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a hundred and something dollar car to start with at the yeah. base. So, you know, adjust your expectations accordingly. Sure. But, um, it's incredible to see the technology, like the Lucid Air. I got to drive it recently at mm -hmm. that event they had about a month ago, and and it just blew my mind in terms of, you know, the technology. Yeah. And and Tesla has always blown my mind in terms of technology. I'm used to it now, but you know, I'm seeing what even Mercedes, a traditional car maker, is doing in mm -hmm. terms of software. I discovered a feature today. I couldn't believe it. I took the EQS to the laundromat because it's mm -hmm. as one does, right? Sure. Yeah. If you're going to have an EQS, take it to the laundromat. Absolutely. Yes. And uh, I discovered that it predicts the traffic lights. So it shows me a little traffic light icon and it mm -hmm. countdown underneath how many seconds before it turns green. And it's 100% accurate every time. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea how it does that. So uh, cities across the US have been slowly upgrading their traffic light infrastructure with a special radio signal. So if you actually, Ooh, I feel obliged to, to I feel obliged on behalf of Audi to say that if you go back maybe five years or so, they have a thing called traffic light assist or traffic light pilot or something where it started in Las Vegas. That. Yeah, because I, I remember going to Las Vegas as you know as you uh, sometimes have to do, and. <laughs> And driving down the strip, looking at the dashboard as the dashboard predicted when the lights were going to change. So we are gradually, it has gradually been spreading. But um, yeah, it's one of those things that you you don't realize how useful it is until suddenly it's like, oh, well, do I have time to check my phone? You know, and it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. I've got like 60 seconds. I have time to kind of quickly Twitter, quickly Twitter. And yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I guess it also means that they're doing this for the emergency services vehicles, right? Where they can, yes. it goes both ways. The, the car, the, these vehicles can trigger the lights yes. uh, like they have been, but in the past it was using strobe lights on the, car, on the yeah. fire vehicles and the emergency mm -hmm. vehicles. But I think now it's probably integrated in this system and some like vehicle to grid or vehicle to infrastructure in this yes. case here. But yeah. it's, it's really fascinating. I, I just, you know, it's so, there's so much functionality. It's right. the first car I've driven other than my Tesla, where I really feel I don't need Android Auto and CarPlay. Like, mm -hmm. it's that good. Like, the, yeah. the, the software is so good, and, I, and the hardware. And I think that at the same time, you know, I, I see, like, a lot of stories around the Volkswagen ID3 and ID4 software updates not being that prevalent and that mm -hmm. good. And, and I start worrying because I'm like, I hope that buying a cheaper electric car doesn't mean you're going to be stuck with bad software, the software that gets an upgrade very often. I'm actually mm. even worried at the high end because, you know, the, the Lucid Air I drove didn't have navigation working. <laughs> like, right. I mean, you are rolling out the car to your customers right now. Yep. How are you showing me a car with navigation not working? Um, it's, it's very interesting how we're, you know, and this is not just for EVs, but I think that more so for EVs, we're getting into a world of where software, again, is eating the hardware world. Yeah. And uh, we're seeing that in cars more readily than ever before. Like, I drove a Taycan in Germany recently, a Cross Turismo, the, the base Taycan mm -hmm. 4, and it blew my mind. I'm a, you know, I'm a Porsche file. I, I've had a Boxster S in the past, and I love my Porsches in general. And having the opportunity to marry the two, like drive mm -hmm. an EV Porsche was incredible. But what was most incredible to me is they briefed us on some new technologies they're working on, where they're basically 
able to gather data from all the sensors in the car, aggregate it, pre-compute some of it, throw it up in the cloud, and then beam it back down to the other cars, like Tesla's doing with autopilot data, but they're doing it with things like the adaptive damper settings and stuff. So, you know, if you hit a pothole in a mm -hmm. car, it can tell you, based on all the other cars that have hit potholes, if that pothole is going to result in a damaged damper a month down the road. Okay. And so they can kind of preemptively say, you right. should probably schedule some maintenance. <laughs> or they can say things like, based on all the cars that have been driven on this stretch of road, it is way more slippery today. We don't know why, but it's way more slippery today. Right. So we're going to recommend that you get off of Sports Plus and, right. <laughs> and change your, you know, and, and maybe we'll... We'll we'll keep an eye on the on the on the friction level of the tires mm -hmm. in real time to to you know crank up the uh, stability control and stuff so that you're uh, less you're less likely to to spin out. I mean, it's kind of insane to me how this kind of like AI machine learning at the local mm -hmm. level, then you know, big data in the cloud coming right back to the cars. They call it the digital twin thing that they're mm -hmm. working on. And, and I think it's going to start appearing on the Taycan in 2022 or something. But it's crazy. Or you take your car to the track and it can keep a very clean record of the maintenance on your car. So when you sell it, mm -hmm. you can, the resale value can be higher because you can show the data set that right. says, this is how this I drove the I car. Drove but it. more importantly, these are all the parts that I replaced right. based on <laughs> what the data set suggests that I should do, right? Like, yeah. it's crazy stuff. I'm it just is. blown away by it. It is. And it's... It it's it's fascinating how the the mechanical and the technical you know and the software kind of it, it, they become as they're as important as each other you know and and the things that you can kind of unlock with software i know that polestar recently like earlier this year set, pushed out an update which unlocked extra range from their cars you know like yeah. it, it just the little things that they can do which have such a big impact on on your kind of everyday experience with things it's yeah it, it really interesting times and like you say, a really big um, pressure on the automakers as well to kind of commit to this and kind of keep delivering because, it, you know, until now it has pretty much been, we sell you a car, goodbye, we will see you in, you know, three yeah, years' time. Come when see you our service it. department so we can make some money, right? Exactly, yes. <laughs> and, you know, and the car you buy is the same car that you trade in at the end of that time, you know, whereas now the car you buy isn't the same car a week later often or, you know, six months down the line because you have had software updates, you have unlocked extra features, you have whatever. Yep. It's, we, it's really interesting. And there's lots of lots of room for it to go terribly wrong. <laughs> My Model 3 after three years was a very different car than when I first got it in yeah. terms of feature set and functionality. So, you know, it's it's kind of fascinating to me. What's it going to be like with this car that I have now for three-year lease, you know? Yeah. Anyway, we should wrap it up. I wish we could talk about this some more, but uh, do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, the various social media handles, of course, slash gear folks is where you're going to find Chris, right? Yes. Slash gear.com. Uh, it's Twitter forward slash slash gear. Um, and you can find me on Twitter as well, where I witter about many things at um, C underscore Davies, D-A-V-I-E-S. Yes. I would never recommend following me though. <laughs> Why do you say that? Oh, because I, I tweet far too much for a, a grown man. Yes. <laughs> well, it's good stuff. I think it's fun. So I would say maybe you should. 
Folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl, that's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character without the vowels. So if you want to chat with me and Chris about this show, find us on Twitter and hit us up with your questions and comments. And uh, my handle on Instagram is the same, at Tankerl, T-N-K-G-R-L. If you want to see pretty pictures of cars or phones or taken with phones of cars, yeah, that, that happens, you know, follow me on Instagram as well. The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com and is on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. Please subscribe. If your app lets you rate or review the show, please do that. It really helps to have those recommendations. There is a couple of YouTube channels that go with the podcast that are visual content for the show. If you want to see the devices we've talked about or see, well, I guess, videos and photos of the cars, go to youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast and youtube.com slash mobile tech more. The first one is mostly about phones and audio devices. The second one is about all the rest of the stuff, all the meta stuff around mobile. So accessories, car tech, travel tech, home tech, basically the stuff that your smartphone talks to. And uh, please subscribe and tell your friends and uh, you know what to do in YouTube. It's pretty straightforward. Anyway, yeah, I would appreciate if you joined the channels. And there is a Patreon now, folks. So patreon.com slash tankrl. That's patreon.com slash tnkgrl. If you want to watch this podcast on video instead of listening to just the audio-only version and you want to get it a couple of days beforehand, unedited, we leave all the banter in there, you know, Patreon is your ticket. We also have a Discord server you can join so you can chat with me and stuff like that. So there's a bunch of tiers. Check it out. Patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. And I want to thank our existing patrons. And this week, I want to thank Nick D for being a new patron. Thanks for joining the party, Nick. And folks, for those of you who don't like Patreon, I get it. There is a link in the show notes for PayPal donation if you want to help that way. That would be fantastic. Finally, I want to thank our sponsor, Audible. Audible has been with us since the early days, and they're a fantastic sponsor. I love to read books, and, you know, I don't get too much anymore. I just get to listen to books while I drive, mostly on road trips and things like that. And so it kind of fills that void for me. And uh, we have a special deal. You can get a 30-day free trial, and you can get a book that you keep at the end if you decide not to stay but i hope you will stay because i think you will like it it is pretty awesome so the url for that is audibletrial.com slash mobile tech that's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech audible has a bunch of books obviously but it has podcasts it has shorter stories as well a lot of the books are read by the authors and my favorite thing about it is that it's like it feels like a book even though i'm not reading with my eyes i'm listening with my ears it's just this thing six hours of listening or whatever and i break it down into little chunks here and there and it's just like picking up a book putting it down it's just fantastic so i want to thank audible again for being our longtime sponsor audibletrial.com slash mobile tech folks help me help them It'll be awesome. Thanks again to Audible for being our longtime sponsor. And thanks to you, Chris, for being on the show. Much appreciated. Always fun. Always fun. Yes. <laughs> we'll have you on again at some point, of course. And folks, you know we'll have a show next week. So stay tuned for that. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.